I'm here today with Ashish Tusu. He's the co-founder and CEO of Cubal. Welcome on. Uh, thanks, John. So we're talking today about building a data-driven culture, which is something that you've done uh, at Facebook, and it's something that you think a lot about now at Cubal. Could you tell us a bit about what it is to have a data-driven culture? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, in my point of view, data-driven culture is um, a combination of uh, processes, people, and technology that allows companies to bring data in their day-to-day -day conversation. Uh, so, you know, there are, you know, traditionally when uh, data was not available, a lot of decision-making in companies, both at the tactical level at, as well as the strategic level, would happen uh, through, gut, uh, through gut feeling, through intuition where, you know, there would be some expert in the room say, you know, saying that, you know, I understand this landscape and this is what we should do. I think over a period of time, what has become clear that, you know, along with intuition, you need to augment that with testing those intuitions and those hypotheses with data. And that is what a data-driven culture enables. So companies that augment their intuition and gut feeling along with testing through data and then using data to arrive at certain decisions, whether for tactical purposes or strategic purposes, you know, those companies that create that type of a culture essentially become data-driven companies. And it's been proven again and again, and you know, there's a lot of literature around this, uh, which shows that companies that embrace that type of an approach ultimately become much more profitable from different metrics of success. They become much more successful as compared to companies who are just relying on intuition or gut feel or certain expert you know, opinions inside the company itself. So that is what I mean by data-driven culture. It is essentially a confluence of a positive confluence of people, processes, and technologies that puts data into the conversations. Uh, that companies have, whether they're for strategic decision-making or tactical reasons. So it's a matter of avoiding, in part, what is sometimes called HIPPO, right? The highest paid person's opinion. Uh, that is wins. correct. Correct. Yeah. The HIPPOs are very dangerous. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, data essentially makes the conversation much more objective as opposed to subjective. Excellent. And sort of flattens out the field and, uh, you know, makes it makes it empowers uh, people to actually talk about issues in a substantive way as opposed to in a subjective way. So it's kind of a mindset that can spread throughout a whole company and, um, you know, become a way that any employee contributes, right, by looking at the data and making, as you say, more objective decisions rather than perhaps, you know, embedding themselves unproductively in a hierarchy or feeling like they can't contribute. That is correct. So, you know, it does empower employees. And very importantly, it also, uh, you know, when you are, uh, you know, what it does is that when you are in a room making a decision, uh, or talking about a certain, uh, you know, certain issue, then the natural question, you know, whenever there's such a discussion, there are a lot of questions that arise. And uh, the natural uh, recourse uh, to uh, that should be, hey, let's look at the data and figure out whether some of these assumptions are correct. Or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we do such and such thing, what would be the effect? What does the data show us? So that type of realization across the company, across different levels of the company, across different functions of the company, once that type of realization seeps in, that's what creates a data-driven culture. And obviously, you need more than just the culture, right? You need sort of the infrastructure in place and the, and the tools that make this possible, which for most people who've been thinking about this, you know, they realize that isn't so much an easy thing to, to do, right? That's correct. So as I said, it's a confluence of a bunch of things. You know, it's a confluence of people, processes, and technology. There is definitely a need for tools and infrastructure to support this type of an environment because if the infrastructure support is not there or tool support is not there and people cannot get to data, then, you know, the easiest course is to say, you know, okay, you know, we don't have enough data, let's make an assumption and move forward. And, you know, to me, a data delayed is data denied. Hmm. It works like that. Uh, so making sure that data is available 
and infrastructure is available for people to use that data to you know test their hypotheses to ask the questions of that data and come up with answers uh, and making that self service on a broad scale is very very important and very central to this transformation and then of course it's not just that you know there is transformation that is needed on the people and processes side as well mm-hmm. uh, but without the technology you cannot uh, you cannot achieve it let's just for the listeners who are maybe thinking about building a data-driven culture and plotting out their strategy for what they need. What are the essential technological you know, pieces that you need? Yeah, so uh, this is a great question. So if you look at uh, you know, past companies, you know, a lot of data infrastructure which supports this type of, uh, you know, this type of an environment was always gated. Mm-hmm. You, know, you would have you know, companies uh, having a certain amount of data infrastructure in place and then a team sitting between the infrastructure and the users and this team would be the gatekeeper of this infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And the reasons for that were various. There were various different reasons. There were reasons around infrastructure could not scale. So the team was always, you know, always a little apprehensive of just opening it up to everyone, you know, because it would, you know, be brought down by a certain query or certain mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like that. There were maybe not enough tooling for them to audit and figure out who's using this infrastructure in what way or to govern this infrastructure and so on and so forth. So there were various different reasons. But in order to really get a truly data-driven culture and be successful around it, you need to invert the problem. You need to have the infrastructure be self-service to the users. And the team should be supporting the infrastructure. The data team should be supporting the infrastructure by sitting behind the infrastructure and be responsible for making sure that this infrastructure is available to everyone. There are enough toolings and tool infrastructure or tool integrations done with this infrastructure so it can be used by different data personas, whether they're an engineer or data scientist or an analyst or maybe a line of business user who's trying to interact with this infrastructure. There's enough of tooling and tool integration available there. There's enough governance and policy uh, and uh, you know access control in place so that they can, uh, for sensitive data sets, they can you know silo that off and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So all of that should be put together by the data team into the infrastructure, and they should sit behind the infrastructure and support it and, in, and make this infrastructure self-service. That is the most fundamental thing that is needed in order to take the first baby step towards getting to a data-driven culture. And, you know, I saw that firsthand at Facebook. You know, Facebook had, Mm -hmm. you know, when we started in Facebook, this is back in 2007, the infrastructure was very much like most companies, you know, handle that data infrastructure today. Essentially, we were the data team sitting between the users Mm -hmm. and uh, and the infrastructure on the other end. And, uh, you know, Facebook was an exponentially growing company. And for them, uh, for for that environment, that configuration became a bottleneck. So we had to change the configuration. We brought in Hadoop, we created Hive, we created a whole bunch of other toolings to make sure that we got out from sitting between the users and the infrastructure. We made the infrastructure uh, self-service and then we were supporting the infrastructure from behind and that had a big role in making it data-driven. So I think the same sort of a transformation is possible for every other company who wants to become data-driven today. And the first step really is to think about self-service data infrastructure. So for the self-service culture that, you're, that you would be looking to build, where employees are empowered to go in and look at the data and make decisions based on it, um, that suggests that perhaps you also need a different kind of employee or maybe uh, you know, some training for employees or, or a different mindset for the employees when you compare it to perhaps a more traditional mechanism where you have like a business intelligence department and you're just sending them queries. So how do you wind up with the right people for that? So uh, you're absolutely right. So this is uh, both a training problem as well as, uh, uh, you know, uh, as well as expectation setting, Mm -hmm. you know, training as well as a process problem, I would say. And, you know, every employee wants to get to their answers quickly. Mm -hmm. 
so you know that is a big carrot uh, to dangle in front of the employee saying that the, you know if you embrace this type of a transformation where you know you have a tooling in place or an infrastructure in place where you can go and access this data and try to answer some of these questions if you embrace this type of a culture you will get to your answers much more quickly and your productivity will increase you will be able to do your job you know faster as opposed to running to a central team mm-hmm. so that is very critical but then all these employees comes in come in different uh, forms of expertise you know some of them may be very comfortable thinking about data you know if you are a data engineer or a data analyst or a data scientist uh, you know data is your life and you can think about data left and right and you can you know uh, do hypothesis testing run mm-hmm. queries and transformations and stuff like that for them this transformation becomes very easy and all that they need is a mechanism for an infrastructure where they can go in and not just be able to query the data but also uh, data discovery how they're able to you know mm-hmm. uh, figure out what data sets to use and so on and so forth that is what they need now there are a certain other set of employees who may not be data driven and who typically interact with you know they have very fixed queries and essentially they are changing the parameters of the queries and asking mm-hmm. they're not asking different types of questions but they are parameterizing those questions in a different way sure they're taking a question that maybe their manager or someone else in the organization has created and they're just sort of rerunning it in in a different form uh, or you know suppose you know there's an employee he wants to uh, look at uh, you know in a in a in a web company for example they want to look at monthly active users or something like sure. that right so it's the same uh, question but for different months it yields different answers and things like that i think for those employees you can put together on this infrastructure you can create applets mm-hmm. uh, forms uh, you can you know, there are a lot of dashboarding tools and uh, reporting tools that you can use to drive that type of a thing but then you have to make those assets self service you know mm-hmm. you you mm-hmm. don't have to hide those assets behind a data team but you have to maybe uh, you know give them an interface where they can enter certain some of these parameters and pops uh, the infrastructure is able to deliver that question whether that is uh, through a dynamic report or whether that is through a simple data form or something like that you can do that and we did that we did do that at facebook also to some degree mm-hmm. uh, so you can address some of those things where the interface is matched to the capabilities of the employee mm-hmm. uh, but all of these interfaces should be self service that is very critical and once you train your employees uh, around those interfaces it's you know easy to train people with interfaces that are in tune with their capabilities the motivation that you have to show them is that through these interfaces they can get to their answers much more quickly so what used to take them weeks now mm-hmm. can take them few minutes or hours to attain and i think that uh, you know in facebook uh, you know and we have seen this in with cubol also with a lot of our you know uh, customers uh once you put those tools in place in front of these employees and show them the benefits in terms of how it increases agility uh the effects are transformational and mm-hmm. everybody embraces it nobody fights it so the key is first to sort of present the value proposition to the employees and show them why this is very valuable right so uh you've talked about cubol and what you're doing with this data and intelligence infrastructure as the third wave in cloud computing uh wonder if you could right. talk about what that means So you know we are living in a day and age where there's a lot of disruption happening in terms of how uh, companies consume applications and infrastructure you know last you know and this is uh, you know we started off with mainframe computing then mainframe computing moved towards client server computing and that is all the basis of data centers and now we are in the age of data of uh, cloud computing the cloud computing transformation itself has been going on for a long time but it has happened uh, fundamentally in three ways the first wave which was successful uh, and which was the pioneers of cloud computing were companies like salesforce.com 
mm-hmm. which are applications. These were SaaS applications. They were catered towards solving a certain business uh, problem. And, uh, you know, in case of Salesforce, it was a CRM application catered towards a business user. And it was a full solution that was all hosted in the cloud, uh, into the mm-hmm. Salesforce cloud. And essentially, you know, it became a SaaS solution and sowed the seeds of what has now become, you know, full-blown cloud computing. After that, the second wave was uh, started much more bottoms up. Hmm. Which is which has been pioneered by AWS, and essentially that has been, uh, hey, uh, we did uh, applications as service, CRM as a service. You know what? Let's try to do IT as a service. You know, mm-hmm. can we do compute and storage and uh, you know those types of things, or you know tools, load balancers, and stuff like as a service. All the building blocks that are needed to create applications. That is the second wave of uh, cloud computing, and that is really a big disruption mm-hmm. to IT and that is what we call as infrastructure as a service uh, you know wave and i think that wave is playing out and is aggressively disrupting uh, the data center world now on top of this wave you know since uh, you know what, what did the second wave achieve it essentially converted uh, you know hardware and infrastructure into apis so mm-hmm. into software and uh, you know as a result things become became much more on demand much more agile much more flexible and so on and so forth but since hardware and uh, infrastructure got converted into software there was an opportunity for companies like us to leverage that and automate complex pieces of infrastructure in mm-hmm. our case it was data infrastructure mm-hmm. uh, so you now you're uh, looking at emergence of platforms built on full blown data platforms uh, like us and data platforms is just an example there could be other platforms as well you know which are built on top of this infrastructure which are utilizing the api um, the infrastructure as a software paradigm to automate a lot of the complexity out from this infrastructure and creating platforms which the users can now use to build their applications to build their hypotheses and things like that so i think that is the third wave hmm. which is now uh, started to become more and more you know uh, useful there are companies like us uh, you know who are essentially doing that a lot of cloud vendors are creating machine learning as a service you know that mm-hmm. is catered mm-hmm. towards people who are trying to put together machine learning for creating other applications so you are starting to see a reemergence of platform as a service to some degree and that i think is the third wave uh, of cloud computing and that has been possible because the infrastructure as a service has become so successful and has also trained uh, you know people to think in a different way or s- rather has provided an alternative for people to think in a different way as uh, when they think about infrastructure think about it more as more from an angle of an api as opposed to thinking of that as machines and you know hardware and so on and so forth Right. So because the infrastructure itself has moved into the cloud, it's now become possible to take these applications, the software that depended on being very close to the infrastructure and move it to the cloud as well. Is that right? That is correct. So the software is moving to the cloud. What is also fundamental is that uh, the this infrastructure, this cloud infrastructure is so different from data centers our data center infrastructure simply because uh, you know this uh, the cloud is all about apis mm-hmm. being the front end uh, of the infrastructure as opposed to uh, as opposed to machines and stuff like that so now the next generation of software and platforms that are being built on top of uh, this infrastructure look fundamentally very different mm-hmm. and the things that they can uh, they can do are fundamentally very different from what uh, was possible in the previous uh, era a case to example is kubol right we have been talking about automation of our clusters 
uh, our infrastructure comes on demand you know it responds to what the user says and then you know we uh, we spin up infrastructure on demand and so on and so forth which did not happen in the previous era because the previous era was more about let me put the infrastructure in place first and then fit my applications to it mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. with with uh, with the second wave of cloud computing which is the infrastructure as a service you are now able to build the third wave where uh, applications are able to create the infrastructure on the fly to fit the application mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to the other way around interesting so you've mentioned Facebook a few times here. Uh, you and your co-founder built the original analytics uh, infrastructure at Facebook back around 2007. Wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, what that entailed and how that changed the culture inside Facebook after you implemented it. Uh, sure. So we uh, we were uh, both me and my co-founder Joydeep. We were at Facebook from 2007 to 2011, and in those four uh, in that four-year period, we essentially built out uh, the. Uh, we started off with this uh, premise that you know uh, creating a data infrastructure which was not self-service would mm-hmm. be detrimental in the growth of the company itself, uh, and we wanted to create something much more self-service, and that is what we built out, built it out there. Because as you pointed out earlier, Facebook at the time was just growing incredibly fast. You, you couldn't incredibly possibly fast. have, and uh, you know that yeah. infrastructure uh, to give you the impact that that infrastructure had uh, when we left. 30% of the company would use that infrastructure on a monthly basis hmm. to answer questions. Uh, these were thousands of users. You know, it was a 5,000 people company. That infrastructure has further grown now and still supports, you know, the same, a similar percentage of the company heavily in, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, you know, how they use data and stuff like that. And the transformation was very, very, um, uh, you know, it was very stark. You know, mm-hmm. when we started, uh, I still remember, uh, you know, before we, before we built this out, you know, data was a big problem. You know, people mm-hmm. would, you know, so Facebook did not have a problem of being a data data culture company in the people, you know, all the people wanted to use data in some way or the form. But since there was no self-service infrastructure, they were very, very, uh, you know, restrained yeah. uh, by what, what data they could get. And as a result, you know, decisions would be taken very intuitively. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Let's launch this uh, particular feature, see what happens. Right, right. With that infrastructure now, they, uh, you know, all the decision making has become much more data driven. Not just decision making that in uh, that in that infrastructure had a profound impact on a lot of strategic initiatives within the company. Whether it was growing the uh, network, growing the Facebook user base, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of things, a lot of hypothesis testing used to happen on that infrastructure. How to model users, who to reach out to, what message to reach out to, so on and so forth. For monetization and ads, ad targeting, what ads to show to which users, and so on and so forth. That happened on that infrastructure. Recommendations around which uh, which people you should friend, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, depending upon your friend network. A lot of that was um, some of the models were built there. Search indexes were built there. So the net and net, what happened is that once you make that infrastructure self-service, it started to penetrate into various different efforts in mm-hmm. Facebook, whether they're product efforts or strategic efforts. And that that is basically what happens with self-service. And then it became truly, truly data-driven. And you know, there there was a time then there you know we moved from not using data to a time where uh, you know people would just run queries on this infrastructure to figure out the answers in real time and you know then make decisions. Right. So it was very very transformational for the company. Yeah, you can look even at Facebook's products and see how data driven you know the products themselves are. So you can imagine that having kind of a such a data driven culture inside the company is expressed in some sense in the sophistication of the you know of of the data motivated products. That's right. That's right. And again, what I, uh, you know, what I should have said before, there was never 
any doubt about using data in Facebook. It was just a matter of making this data available, uh, mm-hmm. putting together self-service infrastructure that really uncocked that data genie. Right. And right. Uh, the effects were profound. Right, right. Yeah, I, I imagine that at a lot of early stage companies like Facebook was around 2007, you had, you know, tons and tons of data, but it was sort of uh, accessible only to, you know, a handful of users who are perhaps hitting the data directly to make queries and then, um, you know, answering questions that came in from other people. So that is that the bottleneck that, that you refer to? Yes. So the so because of because the infrastructure was built like that because it was not self service because they were not easy to use interfaces because it was not super scalable at the back end. So if you opened it up to everyone, you know the infrastructure would fall flat on its face. Because of all those reasons, there was a small set of users sitting between the infrastructure and the other users, and all the other users had to constantly go back to these. Uh, you know, we used to call this the data team, and the data team would you know give them the data, and you know clearly that was unsustainable. Data mm-hmm. team would become the bottleneck, and many users would not get to their data fast enough. And uh, so the recourse was to look at some sample uh, data sets here or there, or make some gut intuitive uh, d- uh, you know decisions. Mm-hmm. And many times those decisions were did not prove out to be right. But mm-hmm. with data entering in uh, into the you know, when data became so accessible, uh, not only did that uh, decision making uh, become more accurate, it also became more rapid mm-hmm. because now you could you know without uh, being uh, you could fail fast. You know you didn't have to really get your uh, thing right completely, mm-hmm. uh, but you could you know iterate over it and see what the data is and you know change your uh, you know uh, your uh, your strategy and stuff like that. Right. Right. So I imagine that uh, since you are building tools that promote sort of a data-driven culture, that you must uh, think a great deal about producing a data-driven culture inside Kubel. Is that uh, is that something you spend a lot of time thinking about? Kubel has been data-driven from day one. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know we spend a lot of you know if you look at uh, our typical uh, internal meetings and stuff like that, if uh, if ever there is any issue being discussed, it is always. Uh, we always talk about data to back those issues. Uh, you know, whether it is, you know, bottlenecks in our business processes or, you know, bottlenecks uh, anywhere uh, and so on and so forth. We always, always talk about data. So data has become very central at Kubol. And it's been like that from day one. And so it's a truly data-driven company. We uh, dog food, whatever we build, mm-hmm. whatever we build, we basically use that to analyze a lot of our product data, a uh, lot of how people are using Kubol themselves. Uh, a lot of that data, you know, feeds into other business processes as well. And, uh, you know, we try to dog food all of uh, what we build and sort of practice what we preach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, as a result, the company has been data driven from day one. So we've known a great deal about the power of data uh, for some time. The idea of, of, you know, using data to make decisions is not new, uh, you know, among management experts and, and uh, sort of, um, you know, IT technologists. Uh, but it seems that it's it's gotten a lot easier recently, and and I take it this is connected to the cloud. I wonder if you could talk about uh, how the cloud has changed the way that it's possible to build a data driven culture. Uh, that's uh, that's true. So cloud has uh, has a, had a huge effect in accelerating uh, this transformation mm-hmm. of making companies data driven and making that type of culture accessible, that type of culture and technology accessible to a bar- larger set of companies than just companies like Facebook's or the Googles of the world. Mm-hmm. So how does the cloud help here? So there are two primary reasons. First, cloud is built on self-service principles. You know, all 
if you look at whether it is the first wave of cloud computing or the second wave of cloud computing, it is all built on making things as a service, mm-hmm. uh, making itself service. So we have sort of also embraced that. And, you know, cloud naturally leads to that type of a uh, interface for the for for users mm-hmm. uh, to make data self-service. Now, the other critical thing is that, you know, once you make interfaces self-service, you also have to back it up with infrastructure that is adaptable, that is flexible, that can scale up or scale down depending upon usage, mm-hmm. that is automated. Because if you don't have that, then you are essentially again going back to a world where you are held prisoner to the to the capacity of your infrastructure and essentially you are limited by that. So cloud helps there as well because again, uh, the API automation of converting or rather, you know, converting infrastructure and API allows you for the first time to react to these transformations and queries that are coming through the self-service interface and create infrastructure on the fly. So if you put these things together, you get a self-service platform and you get a self-managing and automated platform. Mm-hmm. And as a result, what happens is that the companies don't have to invest in huge operational teams to run this. And at the same time, they get a platform. Uh, they also don't have to invest in integration on multiple tools to make it self-service. And therefore, you know, all those uh, things make it much easier for the companies to be able to get to a, a cutting-edge platform and they don't have to be a Facebook or a Google to do that anymore. And cloud has basically played that role for us. And Kubo has been built on that thesis and essentially has embraced that. Uh, and that is how we are bringing that same transformational benefits of self-service data infrastructure that have had such a profound effect on companies like Facebooks and Googles of the world. Uh, we are bringing that to all the other companies, to the mainstream uh, companies as well. And you know, in the in in and our hope is that in that way we can help uh, use the cloud to drive uh, help drive the data-driven culture a lot in these companies. So as with so many things, the cloud has democratized a kind of sophisticated uh, intelligence that now it's possible for anyone to implement. You don't have to invest billions of dollars in infrastructure to do it. Uh, you don't need to you know, hire tens or hundreds of, of uh, you know, PhD-level researchers to do it. It's available as a service and, uh, and easy to just sort of switch on. That's correct. That is correct. That's absolutely correct. Terrific. Ashish Tusu? Thank you so much for joining me from Kubel. Uh, if the listeners would like to find you online, where should they look? We are at www.kubel.com and I am at on LinkedIn. Ashish Tosu is my uh, LinkedIn stub. And yeah, just uh, send us an email or contact us through LinkedIn and uh, we'll be happy to chat about this transformation. Terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you, John.